Yes, and here we are. Another book club session, another finale. And tonight we're going to get our general thoughts and highlights and get through the wonderful thread and then some extras with our wonderful co-host and guest, Lindsay Sharman. Lindsay, it has it has finally happened. We have finished the book. How are you feeling? I think you're still muted. There she is. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of sad, honestly. This has been so much fun, and I love this book. And every time I finish any book, I'm kind of sad. This this book's even a different kind of sad, though, because it's actually just so disturbing as well. I know. Um, <laughs> I know. But, I know. Yeah, so, it's been so fun. I'm glad we got to do this. Yes, me too. Me too. There, there, there's a lot. Now, you know, this is a, a sad ending just to see the the lamenting of a really good party ending. To see, I mean, it, it's still this last section of chapters that we were reading together is just, there's so much acceleration, especially with the attendance at the the fair in these uh, these last months and weeks where we 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 get all of the inside baseball on that that incredible day where nearly a million people came to the fair in one day where that was a day that George Ferris actually rode his Ferris wheel and observed from the top of the Ferris wheel that there must have been a million people down there and uh, they, the the official toll is over 700,000 but still uh, not that far off um but i mean th- there's so much but the lamenting of it all going away the the last ways that they were really just like let's squeeze everything we get out of this what are some of your favorite your favorite stories and your favorite parts from this uh this last segment i really was shocked by how many people seemed to predict how this all would go down in flames like like it almost it it tickles the conspiratorial part of my mind because i'm like were you telling people that you were gonna burn it down or was it really just i know sometimes like our mass consciousness kind of taps into huge events in the future if you actually look at like the dream records there's these different ways people were recording dreams and different things before 9-11 tons of people had these seemingly prophetic dreams about 9-11 now most of them would not have said they had prophetic dreams before then but they did so it seems like sometimes when a big enough event occurs it somehow like shocks our psyche and travels in all directions in time and who knows what so maybe people were really just tapping into that but now i'm seeming not to be able to find all the people who (laughs) seem to prophesy that it was going to burn down yeah the whole city and you know that they would rather have it do that and oh here's one on page 322 um kim and burnham never really believed the fair should be set aflame but the buildings in fact had been designed to maximize the salvage value of their components rather this talk of conflagration was a way of easing the despair of watching the dream come to an end no one could bear the idea of the white city lying empty and desolate a cosmopolitan writer said better to have it vanish suddenly in a blaze of glory than fall into gradual disrepair and dilapidation there's no more melancholy spectacle than a festal hall the morning after the banquet when the guests have departed and the lights are extinguished later these musings about fire would come to seem like prophecy um I think it was actually the page before that McKim was writing about. I had that. was maybe saying, yeah. I had that too. That struck me. You know, it was McKim. Let me see here. I have a couple of those uh, highlighted on 321. Charles McKim disengaged reluctantly for him. The fair had been a brilliant light for a a time to spell the shadows that had accumulated around his life. Let's see here. This is his note. Is to say that I'm okay. Uh, he left Jackson Park abruptly on the morning of October 23rd and later that day wrote to Burnham I love this note you know my dislike for saying goodbye and were prepared to find that I had skipped this morning I say that I was uh, sorry to leave you uh, 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 um, to say that I was sorry to leave you all is to put it only uh, one half strongly as how I feel. You gave me a beautiful time and the last days of the fair will always remain in my mind as were the first especially identified with yourself. 
it will be pleasant for the rest of our natural lives to be able to look back to it and talk it over and over and over again. And it goes without saying that you can depend upon me in every way as often hereafter as you may have need of me. What a wonderful letter to receive from anyone about anything. Sweet. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) I I mean, and, and this is what it was, departures, where everybody is just like, you know what, I just need to leave because if I start saying goodbye, it's going to destroy me. And then the ultimate thing is aside from saying goodbye to the people that they worked with creating the fair, it's saying goodbye to the fair itself. And as you had said on 322, here's the beginning of all that. The next day, McKim wrote to a friend in Paris of the deepening consensus among himself, Burnham, and most of the Chicago that the fair was too wonderful a thing to be allowed to simply fall into disrepair after its official closure on October 30th, just six days thence. Quote, indeed, it is the ambition of all the concerned to have it swept away in the same magical manner in which it appeared and with the utmost dispatch. For uh, economy, as well as for obvious reasons, it has been proposed that the most glorious way to be to blow up the buildings with dynamite. Another scheme is to destroy them with fire. The last would be the easiest, and as you you wrote all about that, the grandest spectacle, except for the danger of flying embers in the the event of a change of wind from the lake. So um, to think about, they're just, you know, when a carnival leaves town, they just have to take the tents down and... And drive off, but you know they had created a a future. It, it wasn't even just a futuristic metropolis. It was an ode to ancient greatness, as well as a, a, a future that is so far beyond space age, especially to even us right now. Uh, it's it's something else, and and they're wondering how do we pack this up because it can't be left here to rot. It, it is it is too unbecoming of of what we built. And we know based on how they built it, it would it would rot and it would burn and it would like molder. I mean that that um, what do they call it? Staff that staff that they use to make it quicker to put up all these walls and all of these embellishments is um, it's just it's nothing. It's not going to hold together. So the steel the steel could be reused like they planned. I would think the steel could still be reused even if it was in a fire. But I don't know. Maybe that makes it unusable. Maybe it's like weakens it or something. But. Um, but yeah, you can't just leave it up. It would, and then it'd be a terrifying vision, <laughs> just like abandoned, molding, empty, white city. And I keep thinking, you know, part of the reason for going to these great lengths and building this huge event and putting all this effort into it and getting all these people there is to, you know, call people to like greater heights and to, like they've said over and over again, sort of show people like this is what our vision is for what cities would be like. They'll be clean and they'll have hospitals and they'll have childcare and they'll have clean water and electricity and all of these things. So let's reach higher and not just, you know, sit in our wooden huts and and farm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, let's just take it to this higher level. Let's have this common vision. Uh, And you wouldn't want that to then be associated with like rot and despair and things falling apart. So I totally understand that uh, vision of it just blowing up or burning down being even better. Yes. Yes. It, and, and, you know, going back to the beginning of our reading, Freaks, let's just go there for a second because I want to go through this and some of the, the, the last amazing statistics of attendance and everything else. And then we can get into the uh, the apprehension of Holmes and his end and how he managed his his um, his persona in the in the public eye but frank millet this guy really shined he came here director of functions he stepped up his own efforts to promote the fair and arranged an increasingly exotic series of events events that i would do anything lindsay to see (laughs) and you know I, i often on on quite frankly the topics of time travel vacations come up all right, if you're given a time travel ticket for this, you know, you can go away for a week or a weekend, and uh, it's not like you're going to leave a lose a, a week of your life. You leave on a Friday, and it'll be like you went to Myrtle Beach for a week. You'll come back the next Friday, but you will just have been in another time. You'll have aged like everybody else. Where would you go? And I often think about Yankee Stadium in the 1930s or, you know, uh, any number of things. I would... I would be going back to this fair multiple times until I got my fill. Yeah. <laughs> I, and for no other reason, it's for things like this. The boat races 
that they organized in the basin of the Court of Honor that pitted inhabitants of the Midway villages against one another. That, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about, uh, I, here, look, let's see. People are getting tired of looking at the electric launches. If we can get the Turks and the South Sea Islanders, the Singalese, the, uh, the Eskimos, the, the American Indians to float about in the Grand Basin in their native barks, it would be, it would certainly add some novelty as well as interest to the scene. And then, you know, so aside from having all of these, these races of people in their, their canoes and whatever is, you know, belongs to them ethnically, and then the, uh, the, the ball of the Midway Freaks, what I would do to be at this ball, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, what, what do you think about the to. ball? Talk about what you thought about the ball. Well, I love to in the races, they said like most of these people didn't have very much clothes on and that was part of the scandal, right? And and same with the ball. They were like dressing people up and covering them up in American flag skirts, right? Because they had to have some semblance of modesty. And I love they put that, um, who was it? They put on like the dais in the middle of the of the room with like people fanning him. And I was thinking like that probably doesn't even happen to him, right? But they they want to add this like mystique and this exotic touch, whether or not it's realistic or not. Um, I think a lot of it was like that, like it was cool to bring all these people from different cultures together and have such an event. Nothing like that, as far as we know, had ever been done before. Mm. All of that culture and richness from everywhere that you're exposed to. But it's also, a lot of it was, a little bit fake a little bit like almost uh, kind of like propaganda you know like this is not actually what these people dress like it's not actually what they dance like it's not actually what would be doing some of it is though a lot of it is but there's also these embellishments just to make it like even more interesting or to make it more modest yes uh which is which was cool too but yeah that would have been so much fun is that where we get this third menu as well they like wind. Oh donuts. yes, yes. No, uh, <laughs> let's let's go through this menu first. First, read first. Let's get to this uh, this other part in three fourteen, right before the menu. I love this. Men in black dress suits circle the floor, swinging black Amazons with bushy hair and teeth necklaces. Chicago and perhaps the world had never seen anything like it. The Tribune called the ball. The str- this is a quote: the strangest gathering since the destruction of the Tower of Babel. Of Babel. <laughs> I, I mean, that it, what a descriptor. Yeah, I, uh, I love it. The, the food, of course, wow, relishes, hard-boiled potatoes, international hash, cold dishes, roast missionary. I was like, is this cannibalism or is it just something I don't understand? I don't <laughs> What's know. A roast missionary? <laughs> uh, west coast of Africa, uh, jerked buffalo, stuffed ostrich boiled camel humps is that real i don't think so because remember another time they were like saying that on the midway they were selling something that was i don't remember emu eggs or something but was actually just chicken eggs (laughs) boiled camel humps oh my gosh monkeys i bet it was like pig rump or something (laughs) yeah something they have a lot of pig leftovers in town monkey (laughs) stew uh let's see here uh reindeer that was part of the entrees. Fried snowballs. Fried snowballs. Now, what is that? I now I want to know what the hell that is. Is it like fried? If it's an entree, it's not a dessert. I'm thinking about because I'm thinking about fried cheesecake, which I love. Um, like the, but that's not what it is. Uh, crystallized frappe, and then wind donuts. What do you think those were? I bet they're just really airy, light, fluffy donuts. And, but they were, because I think they were trying to um, emphasize the balloons. Like they have the captive balloons. Uh, so maybe that's one of one of the tag alongs to that theme. Uh, and then finally, sandwiches, which I probably would be hanging out around the sandwiches the most. That, that's probably what I would be doing most of the night if they are exactly the sandwiches that I thought. Then we have uh, Prendercast whose insanity brings him to the only um, the only conclusion that you knew that it was going to bring him to. Uh, he is being jilted by well, the staff of uh, Mayor Harrison, thinking that he was owed something for a, an election win that he had nothing to do with, and here comes his big, he's going to kill him. And yeah. it, it, it turns the end... The final days of the fair, which was already very last day of schoolish, 
saying goodbye to people for the summer and it was already already feeling very funerary and now it was actually paralleled by a funeral of a of a very well-liked man and man what do you have to thought to say about that it's so sad you know because he's clearly disturbed and when he goes in to say that these people have no i mean i don't think people always know what's going on i don't really blame them for anything but they just had no compassion for him and instead they kind of made fun of him and it's still not their fault that that is what like broke him and made him want to then kill um but it definitely didn't help you know um but i just think it was a different time i don't think people understood i mean we didn't understand psychopathy i don't know that we understood like mental illness very well either um but it's so sad and it's sad that you know when he does go and break into his house it's like not hard to do because uh mayor what was his name i can't harrison. remember but everybody loves him and he's like a people's mayor harrison harrison um and he so he would let people come into his house and just talk to him about whatever like he wanted to know what was on people's mind i think that's why he got elected like i think that's why people liked his swagger and his pomp is like he was just a normal person to them and accessible to them and so you know prendergast could just go right in because people were like yeah that's normal come and talk to the mayor um and then shot him and you know they point out too that he had that one bullet you know empty in the case over there i don't I, I don't have the right words for this uh right. in the revolver yeah <laughs> so that if like the gun accidentally went off he wasn't going to harm himself so as crazy as he was he was also very careful very intentional and knew exactly what he was doing mm. so it's hard to then dismiss any of his behaviors to his insanity because he is very careful yeah. very intentional um so it was very sad it was a really sad way to end it and um you know was this Where's the quote where they talk about things just kind of started going bad in other ways too, you know, like the, yeah, here's the workers revolt on page 335. Um, we have all this socialist and communist sort of risings at this time. This is actually a time in the U S coming up where we see the most socialists and communist, uh, politicians get seats ever. And we have all these workers revolts and general strikes and things like that. It's a really interesting time in history. And, um, that's starting to to build up. Um, but we also have this massive unemployment and the economy crashing. Uh, and they have this super great quote, if I can find it here, uh, about, you know, the white city had built people's dreams up and invited them to this view of the future and all of this high energy. And then when it was falling apart and Harrison gets murdered and things start, you know, going downhill and you're saying goodbye, the black city was welcoming them back with open arms yeah. to just come be in the smoke and the filth and the wretchedness and, and have nothing again. It reabsorbed, it reabsorbed, it brought everybody back to reality that yeah. it was only ever going to be a dream. And it's, um, <clears throat> it's incredible. Uh, you know, the, a little bit more on, a little bit more on the, the, the bigness of the event on page like 31819 I had this over here the Wellington Catering Company which operated eight restaurants and 40 lunch counters in Jackson Park had braced for this record day um, by shipping in two train car train car loads of potatoes four 4000 barrels of beer 15000 gallons of ice cream 40000 pounds of meat it cooks. Uh, its cooks built two hundred thousand hands ham sandwiches and brewed four hundred thousand cups of coffee. I want a ham sandwich and a cup of coffee right now. I know, <laughs> and I was like, it's probably like really way better back then. Oh. Everything was just made from real things. It was fresh. It wasn't processed. Like it's probably delicious. Absolutely. When the news reached Burnham's shanty about the record-setting day, um. Let's see here. There were cheers and champagne and stories through the night. But the best news came the next day when officials of the World's Columbian Exposition Company, whose boast, boat, uh, boasts had been uh, ridiculed far and wide, presented a check for $1.5 million to the Illinois Trust and Savings Company and thereby extinguishing the last of the exposition's debts. They had finally won. And then everything after that was just all profit, baby. And that was, uh, they went for it. Now, Beautiful. And yeah. they had three tons of silver that day. Three, three tons. tons. <laughs> three tons. Now, um, what do you have on 
on Holmes, Cruelty Revealed. This is part four, and it is just, it's so much. It's so, it's so, so much. much. I love this character that we get to meet, uh, is it Geyer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he is a really cool character. I mean, it's like anything, like, was he actually this way or not? But but I really trust Eric Larson actually to do some really good investigative work and have like the right the right view on things. So he's a really um dogged, you know, avid, like he's not gonna quit. He is just so methodical in his way of going about getting homes and actually finding it. And there are so many times where you're like, you could never, how could you, how are you going to track down? They were focusing now on just the three kids that were Benjamin Peitzel's kids. Um, he clearly had killed Benjamin already and talked the mom into letting him take the kids, which is so weird to me right now, but that's what psychopaths do, right? They gain your trust and then take advantage. So he takes these kids and I mean, who knows as far as the letters seem to be telling us, they're they're not like beaten or abused in any way that we can tell except that they're not really allowed to have fun or freedom or right but sometimes he seems to spoil them with food even and like here's all these treats and here's a a pen and he never sends the letters and no one ever knows where they are and he changes his name all the time and and like so this guy Geyer gets to go around to all these cities and go to every hotel every hotel look at their registers, comb through it, try to figure out whether or not he was there, try to put it together based on the letters that they only happened to find because he was got on insurance fraud charges, right? And that's why they found the letters. And he just pieces together this mystery piece by piece. And it's incredible the patience it takes to do that. And even when they talk about one of the hotels had like gone out of business. So then he tracks down someone who knows someone who knows where the records are kept still. Like it's amazing, especially at that time, I think when records were not, I think what we expect them to be now. Uh, and it's, and he found, found all of them, unfortunately. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and then of course we have the arrests. We have the time in prison where he's even, he's even charming his prison guards. And I, I th- <laughs> th- this is a, this is the part of the book where I was, I was wondering how many people were going to watch or read this and say to themselves, Hmm, a, uh, sociopath, psycho, uh, antisocial, crazy person who has absolutely no regard for human life, no regard for human dignity, freedom, anything like that, uh, to the very end is playing to the court of public opinion, releasing books from within prison. I started, the first thing I think about are people like Jim Comey and everybody else who leaves government after being part of treasonous operations, and then what do they do? First thing they do is they, uh, they write themselves a, a little memoir how they are, they're a hero, they go to the MSNBC to hawk their books and all that stuff. And I was saying, wow, these, even the 19th century psychos knew that all you gotta do, or if you have anything to do, write a book, bring it to the public, and hopefully somebody out there, uh, there, there are teams that form, and maybe somebody on that team is on the jury. I don't know, it didn't work for him, thank God. You think that there are any, how many copies of that book do you think are still in existence? Well, I went looking because <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, and that's how I found those pictures and the and the wrong book, the wrong exposition and all sorts of stuff. But I found someone who has, I guess, Holmes wrote two books. So one of them is a memoir that we hear about in this. And then there's another one. Uh, and somebody in the more modern times has gathered both of those books and then written his own you know, addendum or addition to this. And part of that includes this uh, conspiracy theory that Holmes is actually Jack the Ripper, which a lot of people are like, no, I mean, there's literally no way there's this and this that contradicts that. And there's other people that are like, no, these other things are perfectly aligned, like it's them. So I don't know, I haven't looked into that, um, but that book exists and I'm so sorry, I didn't actually keep the title of it, but I, cause I was gonna go try to actually get it and maybe look into it a little bit. And then I talk, like I was talking to you earlier today, I, I realized, like, I don't really want to know any more about him. Like, I don't yeah. really want to give him any more energy. Like, this was dark enough, actually, and I don't really enjoy looking into psychopathy more than I've already had to in my life. And so um, I don't think I'm going to go look at it. But that is exactly why he wrote it, is to convince people of him. And I bet if you're reading it, even knowing what we know, some part of you starts to have compassion for him because that's what psychopaths do well. They know us and they know how our emotions work and how our psychology works. And so even if you're aware of it, it can be hard to detach yourself from that process. So 
Um, so I don't think I'm going to read it. Good, good <laughs> for you. Good for you. Sp- spare yourself that uh, that exercise. Yeah. You know, but at the end, when there was no nowhere else to go, and it was just him and the hangman's noose. There is, uh, you know, there are the confessions. And even in the confessions, I thought it was very interesting that there were distortions and lies. Even in the confession, there are a lot of things that he spelled out with perfect detail. Horrible, just horrible things. So even then, you, you, you feel like, why not just come clean? Why is there still things that, you know, he's listing victims that are still alive? confirmed still alive so maybe it's just the fantasy of the people he wanted to kill and the estimated maybe over 200 maybe yeah. over 200 people i mean think about how many think about how many college level skeleton anatomy skeletons that were hanging in in schools all over the the country were some of his victims tortured yeah tortured victims of murder yeah because that's know. the thing. He didn't just, like, kill people nice and quiet. Like, he built that entire castle of horror in order to be able to torture people. Yep. That's why they're soundproof, right? And when they go through and document everything they found down um, under the the crazy castle, it gets even worse. Because you're like, well, nobody even knows then who, like, there's a hip bone and a shoulder blade and just random bones around buried in different areas and little vats of acid or different chemicals. And it's like... What I yeah he shipped all a bunch of these off to be skeletons, but then he also had the remains of all of these people, and then there might be some that aren't even associated with this time in Chicago, right? He may have been killing since he was young. We remember way back at the beginning they mentioned like a childhood friend of his that died when they were together. Yep. So there's the indication that maybe that was like his first murder. So yeah, some people have said maybe a thousand over the course of his life, right? And who would know? How would we know? <laughs> I don't, I, how would we know? Only God knows. And yeah. that's where we have. So let's go to our, our thread because uh, I want to I want to look at some pictures with you. You're going to, you have some pictures that you picked out. We're going to yes. go through some pictures and then uh, a little something else. Here we go. Jalen Wennings said, had Thursday afternoon off. I went home, kicked up my feet, and read the whole final session in one sitting. Uh, once the search for the children started, I couldn't put it down. I had finished enough, though. Uh, I knew it would be grisly. Thank you for the book club. I say, I set a goal this year to read 12 books, and Devil in the White City was number 10. I'll probably skip The Godfather, mostly because I read it just a few years ago, but I will flip through it to refresh my memory because it's a favorite of mine, and I still want to engage in this awesome club. Yes, please do. Please do. Uh, Gal2, 2021, says, Thank you, Frank and Lindsay, for your great hosting of this most interesting story. The divisions you uh, you chose, uh, chose seem to follow the d- different moods that Larson so skillfully created in each section of these parallel accounts. This last section felt depressing overall. Although this gilded age led to many accomplishments and advancements, the assassination of Mayor Harrison and the filth, starvation, and violence which became widespread after the exposition's closing, seemed to slam the door shut on the good feelings and the highs created for those few months in the White City. As Larson put it on page 333, quote, Harrison's murder fell upon the city like a heavy curtain. There was the time before and there's the time after. Don't we all know that feeling? Yes, yes we do. At the same time, Larson gave us the hero, Detective Geyer, who uh, who finally brought an end to Holmes' murderous career, a good way to end this long, fascinating story. Like Jalen, this book uh, club has pushed me to start reading a lot again and to broaden my reading choices. Thank you both. Well, thank you. Great. Uh, Robert Solario says... The ending chapters right uh, right of the untimely deaths of uh, and of those without the money to pay for their burial. There's Burnham, Olmsted, Ferris, Root, Millet, Buffalo Bill, Sullivan, and the evil associated with Holmes. The deaths of Geyer, the warden, the jury foreman, the priest, all with such short period of time. Uh, yet we have Sol Bloom. He began as an entertainment impresario at the age of 23 in 1893. 
developed the Midway at the 1893 fair. He later served 14 terms in the U.S. House of Representatives from west side of Manhattan. He was chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee from 1939 to 1947, oversaw congressional approval of the United Nations. Ugh. Well, that's not good. Adopted the, adopted the Zionist plan that mandated Palestine should become the refuge for Jewish victims of the Holocaust. Well, so we see where he was going. Lobbied Truman and recognized the Jewish state of Israel and helped secure Truman Doctrine and the Marshall Plan. Well, then I that guess... Saul Bloom. Saul Bloom had a... Uh, so, I mean, it makes sense because I feel like he's was always sort of the character that was going for the highest bidder. Yes. So he's just bought and sold. Like, he never had any morals. He was just like, yeah, let's get money. That, <laughs> yeah, and then th- there you go. I mean, that is essentially the crafting of the post-war world right there. Yeah. The UN, the creation of Israel. I mean, this is globalism at the the max. So, wow. Well, there you, well, there you go. Let's see. Uh, I and- forgot about the curses, too. All the people who died quickly, at, you know, as homes seemed to perhaps maybe curse them and i'll just throw in there too since that was just brought up that uh he didn't let anyone dissect his body that was really weird he was like nope you just have to bury me like no autopsy bloom <laughs> um no uh home sorry home so that's right and, he, and they he did put that a- and then a bunch of people who were connected with his case and and finding him out and getting him some whatever where they all died there was like seemed to be six curses crazy so yeah crazy um, Weird this, guy. <laughs> yeah, but what would they say? They put him under an like, unmarked grave under 10 feet of concrete. Is that right? I forgot that part, too. I don't know. It's in the last bits there. Something about concrete. Yeah. Um, okay, this is from Krista. It says, page 370, the Chicago Times-Herald took the broad view and said yeah. of Holmes, quote, he is a prodigy of wickedness, a human demon, a being so unthinkable that no novelist could dare to invent such a character. The story, too, tends to illustrate the end of the century, end quote. Eric Larson certainly did not invent Holmes, but he skillfully crafted his essence onto paper some two-ish centuries and one millennia later. Uh, the story within the devil in the white city in Larson's own words page 393 the juxtaposition of pride and unfathomed evil struck me as offering power uh, as offering powerful insights into the nature of men and their ambitions the more I read about the fair the more entranced I became so what did you think about the devil in the white city I tend to think Krista says that the book is usually far better than the movie but I think this material would provide the rare opportunity for the screenplay and subsequent film to be even better than its original source I found the first half of the book to be more exciting than its latter counterpart Larson's use of vocabulary was at times distracting and pompous but overall I really enjoyed his style of writing particularly his ability to end a chapter sequence leaving you wait wanting to know more i would rate this book a solid four out of five stars and hope that someday it's given a moment to shine on the big screen i like that yeah yeah i do i think he kind of chose that pompous language on purpose though like you said this is like the gilded age like he's kind of maybe reflecting the pompousness that was inherent in that time Hmm. yeah yes yeah well it is a very snooty book no doubt yeah. about it. And I <laughs> it's a, would. It's a snooty group of people snooty, doing a snooty event. Very snooty group of Freemasons. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, just. <laughs> but I would. I Man, I would go decked out. I would want. To, I would have the, the. I don't know what kind of a hat. I, I guess I'd go top hat. Whatever the hell. I would do it. And I would live it up. And I would act the part. Oh, it'd be great. Let's so see. Fun. NJSF. He says, the book definitely did not disappoint. Had read Larson's In the Garden of Beasts and completely loved it. In that book, there were less interweaving of threads and was also was very riveting. I'll start with the remaining aspects describing the dimension of the fair that stood out to me, especially on Chicago Day. Quote, lost children filled every chair at the headquarters of the Colombian Guard. Nineteen spent the night and were claimed by their parents the next day. Collectors accompanied by armed guards went uh, to each ticket booth and collected the accumulated silver, three tons of it. They counted the money under heavy guard. I enjoyed reading about all the other Burnham contributions after the fair. Quote, I created, uh, Burnham created the city plans for Cleveland, San Francisco, and Manila, 
and led to the turn of the century effort to resuscitate and expand LeFont's vision for Washington, D.C. He persuaded the head of the Pennsylvania Railroad, Alexander Cassett, to remove his freight tracks and from uh, and a depot from the center of the Federal Mall, thus creating the unobstructed green that extends today from the Capitol to the Lincoln Memorial. Oh, I'm telling you, this book, you, yeah, you, you learn a everything. lot. <laughs> And so many others, including his focus on the proposal for the Lincoln Memorial while aboard the Olympic. I also liked how it came to be recognized that Burnham became a better engineer after Root's death. Here's a quote. Uh, The fair allowed him to fulfill his pledge to his parents to become the greatest architect in America. Both Harvard and Yale granted him honorary master's degrees in recognition of his achievement in building the fair. Root's death had crushed Burnham, but it also freed him to become a broader, better architect. And here's another one. Ellsworth concluded that Root's death brought out qualities in Mr. Burnham, which might not have developed as early uh, as early anyway, um, as Root lived. Uh, the common perception had always been that Burnham managed the business side of the firm while Root did all the designs. Burnham did seem uh, to learn uh, lean more or less on Root's artistic abilities, Ellsworth said, but added that after Root's death, one would never realize anything of this kind or ever know from his actions that he ever possessed a partner or did not always command in both directions. So, um, so then there's uh, more did you knows. The fair prompted President Harrison to designate October 12th a national holiday, Columbus Day. Oh, ah. there you go. And now that has been ruined, just like the city of Cleveland, <laughs> that, the city of Cleveland that uh, that Burnham uh, designed, and also San Francisco. That's all. It's all been ruined in modern day by the same people, by the way. Oh, yeah. The Japanese temple on the wooded island charmed Frank Lloyd Wright and may have influenced his evolution of his prairie residential designs. Uh, it is sad to realize that Sullivan's side seems to be predominant these days in telling about the arrogance of the zeitgeist. Let's see here. Uh, from time to time, he came to Burnham for money, although whether he sought outright loans or sold Burnham artwork from his personal collection, it is unclear. But Sullivan laced his 1924 autobiography with hyperbolic attacks on Burnham and the fair's impact on the masses. There's much, much more over there. NJSF re- uh, leaves you a lot. And I hope that you uh, go and check it out. Let's see. Here's another one. Reddit dive into anything. This is a cutaway of the murder castle. John Carroll puts it up. Oh. Oh. Uh, You know what, Lindsay? Yeah. I'm going to send this to you because you're going to do a screen. Here, let me put this in in the chat. Um, I'm going to give you this link because you're about to do a screen share as we go through all of the, the, some of the pictures of the fair include, include that in your, your picture. Let's start with that first. Okay. Um, first let me make sure. Thank you, John Carroll and Mary. The last one over here, Mary says, Frank really enjoyed the book and the connection to real life. The Charles Morse museum here in winter park, Florida is home to the Tiffany chapel turn uh, to the Tiffany chapel turns out was the first displayed at the 1893 Chicago world's fair going there with my daughter this weekend, Tiffany chapel. Hey, that's fantastic. In 1893, Lewis comfort, Tiffany, exhibited a chapel interior at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago that brought him international acclaim a few American artists enjoyed at the time. Uh, the chapel interior was installed in the Tiffany & Company, the jewelry firm founded by uh, his father, pavilion in the Manufacturers and Liberal Arts Building. And now Mary gets to go see a little piece of history this weekend. That's fantastic. All right. So now let's look at some history. We're at the end here, or almost at the end here. Lindsay's going to take it away. She has some pictures she she uh, got, and first we're going to look at this cutaway of what the inside of the murder mansion looked like. John Carroll found this. Go ahead. Right. Let me just bring it up here. All right. Can you see that? Let me see here. Screen capture. Ooh. Oh wait, 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 wait. Side by side. So- Boom. Okay, there you go. I put you up full screen. Okay. Creepy. So this is this is the whole. Yeah, that's super creepy. We're gonna zoom in actually, so we'll just stop uh, start up here. Oh, you can actually even see the Ferris wheel up here in the corner. Oh that's yeah. Funny. And that the elevated a... train it goes right by. Is that how close the elevated train was to his 
It could be, and he must have wow. liked it too because it creates a lot of extra noise. We even have this uh, room here where someone's trapped, and there's like a, a gas or a tube or something going through the vent from above. That must be the that must be the sealed closet. The yeah. sealed closet. Creepy. I mean, there's this little room with just a bed in it, and that's what people were talking about, right? There's all these hidden nooks and crannies. Here seems to be like a. How would you even access this little in-between space? But there's a hole coming down. Someone's falling down. Who knows to where? Maybe all the way to the basement, which is way down here. Full of all sorts of holes and acid and the oven that he incinerated people, the bodies, mm. the skeletons that he put together. I don't know how accurate this is, but it definitely fits the general description of what we've been given. Wow. There's just body parts and bins and... I mean, this was all dirt down here, like a lot of sellers were, right? So that who knows what could be even buried further down. On the first floor here, you can see all the little shops. Wow. Mixed yeah. in with various various levels of murder and access points that maybe he had to different rooms. Oh God, it's just so. Yeah. It's it, I, it's just so grisly because who knows how accurate this really is? But from reading the book. This is the kind of, like, uh, just claustrophobic, dark, dingy uh, building I thought of. You know, where you just have these narrow hallways. Some of them lead to nowhere. Dead ends all over the place. And just trap doors and things that are, are, are there ready to just bring you to an early end. Look at all the bodies in the bed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the whole the whole thing and we were just zoomed in to look even closer wow we yeah so that's creepy yeah i like good good job whoever created that reddit's amazing for those things that's it okay so now all right now on to some on to some of your cool. picks yeah let's look at the um actually pictures from this is from the book that I found on the um, you can get it at the at, at libraries and you could buy it and you can also this was from archive.org and so on archive.org is basically like an, the internet's library uh, they try to shut it down all the time but they haven't succeeded yet uh, and you can make an account there and you can check things out so um, these are some of the pictures that I just chose because I loved them from that book uh, this is this is the construction and you can see, so like here's this giant dome here from the Manufacturer and Liberal Arts Building, what would be the Manufacturer and Liberal Arts Building. You can see like these tiny houses underneath are actually pretty big houses. Yeah, I mean, they're the just scale. dwarfed in comparison. Like it's amazing. Here's a man you can, if you can see him standing here next to these huge beams uh, that were part of that same building. So this is just the construction phase, just of the steel structure itself which is really all those buildings were like we said the rest of that was just sort of you know some boards maybe and some bricks maybe but mostly that staff stuff that's so weak this is the fair at night this is over the railways they had that central you know multiple lines of railways that would bring people in and out at the transportation area and it was just ringed with all of these lights blazing at night which again to people at that time you know, they'd have gas lights here this, and there, but yeah. nothing like this. This is the first, most people, this is the first time that they ever saw electric light. And, so and it, cool. it must have literally been like walking through some, some magic act. I love, I love how it just glows in all these old, old, um, like, like the, the that court of honor. Uh, there's a lot of readily accessible pictures of that glowing at night. And I just, I just love it. Oops. Yeah, yeah, that aura that's kind of around the lights because of the photography of that time is is really pretty, actually. Look at this that. is um, workers finishing the machinery building in the administration building on the left here. And I just love this because you can see all the detail that went into this, even though it's temporary. It's a temporary structure, but you can see all of the pillars have all of those perfectly ridged lines. And there's all of this ornate decoration going onto the walls here and just like you would see in like ancient greece or you know in rome and in these different places um even though it's just basically plaster <laughs> you know and over here on the right we see these same workers making these you know freezes out of out of the plaster out of the staff 
Uh, and again, people will criticize this and go, yeah, right. How could they do all that? Like these people are all just artisans. And it says here they actually used uh, gelatin molds or something. Is that this one? Yeah, gelatin molds to make multiple copies. So they really only had to make one mold and then they would pour the stuff in and they would just make all these different and they just place it all over the fair on various different buildings. Yeah, It wasn't that hard once you had the mold. That was That would have been the hardest thing to make. Hmm. So I thought that was cool to see a little light into their experience here. This was cool too. This is a um, peristyle uh, building, whatever. I don't even remember reading about that. Uh, but up here we see all these figures, these statues also made of the same stuff. It's a staff, it's poured into a mold and it's just crafted this way. Um, all of these figures out here, but there's 48 of them. There's one for each state. Um, so I thought that was cool. Terrific. It's just a very beautiful, you can see the way people were dressed, like we talked about before. They're in their Sunday's finest when they go to the fair. This is the whole court of honor. Look you can that. understand can, can you why put, people... Is, would... is there any way that you can you can expand that a little bit? That, uh, just like, yeah. yeah hold on. Like you see the, the um, yeah, the magnification. Get, yeah, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. And I think this is Big Mary here over that's on the big, right. That's Big Mary, yeah. And this is the great basin. So they dredged all of this, right, to make it perfectly uniform like that. That's where that's where all the, the boat races were. So cool. I mean, I can understand why people would become silent and maybe start crying. Hey, that this was not the United States to them, right? Like this is a completely different world that was built in order to have this event. Um but really beautiful. You can see that uh uniformity that they decided on where you might have whatever dome rise up higher or whatever different spires rise up higher but they all have the same height here you know where everything rises up to that level um or whatever that's called yes. the outer ledge <laughs> super beautiful and in each of these there's not that many people here but remember um they might have been taking these right at the beginning right you know when there wasn't that high of attendance still Here's another of the Great Bees Basin, and this is the manufacturer. No, this is the agriculture building. Can you blow that up a little too? Look at that. That's just yeah. yeah it's like this is this is not in America. That's like Venice or something. Yeah, and I just want to hang out in a boat there. Why isn't this? Why can't we have something like this? Like that just sounds like fun. What's up next? This is. This is the park. This is one of the only pictures I, I found that showed any of what Olmsted did. So I wanted to include that so we could see some of what he tried to have, you know, with the plants and the different accents outside where people could hang out in nature. Hmm. I didn't see any of the ducks or the birds or any of that, unfortunately. This is just amazing. This is the balcony. So this is this is up on the top of the administration building where you could go up and look out on the fair. You see the Ferris wheel over here. Oh yeah. I mean in the that's how far away it was. Yeah. Wow, but I mean, but still it's so thing. it's still so massive. Yeah. It's so massive. I mean, this statue is massive. Like then <laughs> that's up on the roof, right? That's up on the top of the administration building. So yeah, that's how big the Ferris wheel is, and just the, how big the grounds were. That you can look that far away, see a Ferris wheel that big, and and think, oh, I'm going to walk over there and go for a ride, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, now that is a, uh, a a Death Star of a building. That this is literally the Death Star. This is the um, uh, liberal arts building, of course, like the largest interior space ever created that we know of. And here in the foreground is the Wooded Island as well, which is again the the next only other picture I could find of Olmsted's work, what he tried to create there with that um, natural beauty being embedded in the scenery there. And here's that Japanese building that they allowed in a couple of the tents that they allowed on the wooded island, but it did stay pretty empty for him. So that's cool. But there's the, that building dwarfs everything. And look how tiny the people are compared to this massive structure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Is that, is uh, this there's was the, the women's, women's building. building. So first yep. one up, the first one up. First one up. And I feel like it's the least ostentatious. Like it's it's nicely done. It's it's classic. It's beautiful. It's got some statuary and things, but it's not. All the other ones I feel like are just reaching towards 
God in the women's building is like, well, just be modest. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a normal building. <laughs> um, and you see the Ferris wheel again there in the distance. Mm -hmm. I didn't find a single picture that was just the Ferris wheel, you know? Uh, this was interesting. This doesn't seem to fit the style at all. It doesn't seem to fit the theme, but it's because it's the agriculture building and there is a log or a beam around the, I think the perimeter here, each of them are from a different state. So they were really trying to like bring the whole country together and building this building. And it's all just wooden because it's the agriculture building or the forestry building, I should say. So every, every state, so. every state uh, gave a, at least one tree worthy of a beam. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so that was kind of cool. I liked that, even though it's very different from the rest of it. And the, and the grounds are very unfinished. I feel like Olmstead would cry if he saw this. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, look at, like, again, that doesn't look like... Fine arts building. <laughs> it, it, it looks it, like it, another world. See, this is this is what I'm talking about, where it, it's almost... And, and uh, we're looking, I'm looking at everybody in the chat room talking it up, too. And, and Krista said... Um, you know, putting it out there, how how there's just so many of these pictures that we we're finding in all these PDF threads too, and and this is you, there's so much of these kinds of views, and it's almost as if you were able to send a a camera back to uh, may, maybe like 100 BC to yeah. to 200. AD and just try to capture something of Rome at its at its height of its influence. I mean, it is. It looks like we're getting a chronovisor view into the ancient past, and they have brought that majesty right here. And and I totally get why we have this a conspiracy theory that this never even happened, right. and that these are actually you know how the world used to be and. Um, I don't know that these are the few remaining images before the great reset or something. And it wasn't that long ago because it does seem crazy. You look at even just all these little details up here on the edge of this, you know, roof. And you're like, what, how did they do that? But again, it was all just like plaster and mold. And it's not, yeah. it's not that hard once you have it. It's pretty impressive though. And these boats in the foreground, it really does. You feel like you're in a different time. How many more in this, it, how many more in this image set? Uh, I think just like eight more or so. Which one is uh, this? This is, this is an overview of the whole sort of fair from one angle, and I just liked that it was a little bit bigger. It showed how many people might be walking around at any given time, mm. a different angle of it. Uh, this is just the different uh, cultures that were there. So we have Norway on the right here and Sweden on the left. We had way more than that, but I just wanted to include at least a couple of... They had their traditional styles represented, so it really was a world's, a world's fair. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> this was the uh, <laughs> weirdly. This is the manufacturers and um, building, and it just had this giant rotating globe. And again, you can kind of tell the scale based on you know the little devices and wheels around down here that someone might push with their hands. And this is how big this globe is. That, is. is that a lawnmower? Is that an early lawnmower up top or something? I don't know. These are all going to be used for manufacturing and distribution. Oh, it's the agriculture building. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it would be like hay threshers and lawnmowers. It'd be and... Something like something that's tilling the earth. So it's a massive globe, which again, <laughs> the conspiracy theorists, some of them might say, well, that's just conditioning, early conditioning here with the globe. Um, I'm not, I'm not one of them, but I know they'll say it. This is cool. This is refrigeration. Um, in the oops. Uh, I forget what building that was. Oh, this is the one that burned, right? This is the refrigeration yeah. building, actually. Uh, so this cart is meant to be like, hey, we can have train cars now and and whatnot that have refrigeration so we can get meats and different things across the country. And I don't know if you ever read East of Eden, um, but that's one of the plot points is refrigerated car technology comes along and they can ship things that are refrigerated. No, I didn't, I didn't read that, but this is... Oh, it's a fantastic book. People hate it. They hate it so much because they think it's Steinbeck's worst book. And I'm like, I don't know. It's one of my favorite books. <laughs> but um, this is for the children's. Is the daycare? It's the well, no, but it's the, maybe the daycare was in this building. I'm not sure. But this is the women's building, which therefore had to do with child rearing. So this is like the modern classroom idea. And remember, at this time, there was no real formal forced, you know, education. It was just starting to come about. 
rather. And so it was getting it was getting more and more embedded in our culture. So they're you know showing people like this is the ideal classroom, and it's based on um, at the time the the education of children from I forgot. I thought they said what what culture Swedish Swedish traditional education, uh, which is very hands on and crafting and creating things. And so that was the classroom. And here is the nursery then where we start having babies put in pens and kept in their little, you know, <laughs> what do they call them? I can't remember. Like okay, cribs. So, cribs. Uh, so that was, that was all new, right? That you're like separate from your baby and that you put it away and that you go walk away somewhere else. That was that was the modern way. So well, they have that all on display. Here's the one good picture of the Ferris wheel that, nice. that we see over here, just nice. showing how massive it is, that it towers over everything. I don't know why there's not more good pictures of it. My goodness. And um, here's just another overview. Here's some of the South Islanders waiting to perform. Fantastic. What's this one? This is the elevated rail. So you can see it coming in. It kind of curves around. It's just pretty impressive. They built all of even the rail just for this. Mm -hmm. And here are the final pictures. This is that um, one of those big events that drew a lot of people towards the end there, and everybody's gathered on the banks here. There's almost nowhere left. They had described you can't even, like, picnic anymore, and people are just kind of packed in. And this was the final picture. I think this is actually what the cover has on it of the book, and this is that white city at night and the court of honor being illuminated. Right at the Great Basin. I loved how in some in some uh, that's great. Thank you so much for that, uh, yeah. uh, Lindsay. I love how in so much uh, of of this what we've read that they weren't afraid to stay up late. That there was one night that the the festivities didn't stop until four in the morning the next day. So I'm glad that they weren't too prude when it came to you know really uh, uh, you know jazzing up the nightlife there. So as a conclusion, I want you. I got you a little something. That you gotta yes. open up now on air. I want you to find it. Oh, here it is. So, so <laughs> Lindsay does not know what I have got her right now, and I want I there. There you go. I pre-opened it, but I didn't look. Okay, so I'm opening it now. So, she's opening. It's she's, not a bunch of mobs. This well, there you good. go. <laughs> Why is it like stuck? Oh, it got stuck to the in many places. So this is a parting gift and also a just, I mean, hey, it's a little little something to bring everybody else in on a, uh, a nice little on-air exchange. Let's oh, see. Wow. Now, do you know what this is, Lindsay? No, this is so cool. This uh, hold it up to the uh, to to the audience. So they can, can so I take can, it out? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you can do it. I I got. Uh... How cool! Now, this, ladies and gentlemen, that is a Colombian half dollar. It is a coin issued by the Bureau of the Mint in 1892 and 1893. First traditional United States commemorative coin ever. It was issued both. What? It was issued both to raise money for the funds for the 1893 Columbian World Expedi uh, Exposition and to mark the quadricentennial of the first voyage to the Americas by Christopher Columbus. Now, there was a lot of 50 cents. It's about, you know, 90% silver or so. And uh, the good, there's a good chance that this was used at the fair. But no matter what, it was a part of the fundraising effort for the fair. So you have a little, you actually have a little piece of the uh, the history of the fair now. I have one for myself as well. And I would say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, th these are fair. Oh, cool. They printed a good amount of them. And some of them, uh, I think they like f 5 million of them were struck. Many of them were melted down afterwards. And uh, maybe about a million or so was into uh, in um, circulation. So if you, anybody in the audience wants one for their personal collection, it is not out of the realm of possibility for you. I'm sure you'll you'll find them uh, all over the place. But now you got that. That's so cool. Thank you, Frank. You got it. You got it. Thank you for doing this with I us. People it. really enjoyed your presence. And I can't wait to do another book with you one day. 
Yes, absolutely. Anytime. It's been a blast. Thank you for thank you for having me. Thank you for this gift. It's so cool. You got it. Enjoy it. Put it with all of your uh, all your personal items now, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, guys and gals, so much for being here, Lindsay. Where can people find you uh, in uh, in all the days to come from now? Well, thank you everybody for going through the book club and doing this amazing journey uh, with us. And you can always go to rogueways.org. That is my hub for everything that I do, the show, the books, the sessions that I work with people one-on-one and a trillion other things. So rogueways.org is the place to be. And uh, I hope to see everybody over at Rogueways on Rockfin and on the podcast or anywhere else. Uh, it's super fun. And I'm sure I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. I hope so. And I hope everybody follows you over. And thanks again for everything. 